Well, joining us in Truro, Massachusetts, and... No, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm back in Brooklyn suddenly. Joining... I was introducing your father. He's in Truro, Massachusetts. I'm not. I'm in Gardner, New York. Joining us from Gardner, New York... You know nothing. You're in Gardner, New York, and you're in Brooklyn. Let me... Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, psychiatrist, his son Ethan Hershenfeld... Singer, actor, comedian, Harvard apologist, join us. Uh, doctor, you're in Gardner, New York. Are you on vacation? Well, yeah, for a week or two, exactly, yeah. But I wouldn't miss this uh, even if I were having an appendectomy. <laughs> well, you asked for a topic, and I had a couple of topics. One was monogamy. Which happens to be, I want to tell you, it's my favorite wood. <laughs> Very strong. It's, it's, uh, I think wood is why monogamy doesn't exist. <laughs> is is monogamy a myth? Because we had Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. She's an animal behaviorist. She says that birds, certain birds, are capable of monogamy. She maintains, and I hope I'm not misquoting her, that humans are almost incapable of monogamy, or at least not fantasizing about something else. But that's the whole point of my profession. The <laughs> thinking is different from doing. I've been trying to teach you this, David. Stop dodging the question. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. He's saying it, it, thinking about non-monogamy is not non-monogamy. It's fantasizing. Isn't fantasizing a crime? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the Ten Commandments, there's, there's, uh, there's don't covet your neighbor, wa neighbor's wife and also don't stup her. And those are two different things. The coveting is actually... Uh, is a that's sin. The, that's the thinking, the thinking part. Yeah. But yeah. But I, I actually think that there are a few people, very few, and I've met a few of them in my life, um, I was once doing a, a gig. I was singing in, in in the opera in Tel Aviv, and there was a a, a young tenor from from uh, from Germany. He and his wife, for the entire six weeks of the gig, they said no to every single invitation. They were always together. They never went out. There was no interest. I finally said to him, "What? What is? Why won't you come out with us?" He says, "We don't like Jews." No, no. <laughs> no he said. No, he said. Um, we just like hanging out with each other. Like there are a few, there are some of those couples where they just have you met them? It's 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 like another kind of creature. Well, I think Doctor Hershenfeld, your father, would say that a couple that they're they're using each other to hide from the world, right? Well, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would say some such couple. Any generalization about human behavior or thinking is wrong as a generalization. If you say it about this particular couple, sure, could be right. But there, there's, you know, I, one quote I like, somebody said in, in this discussion of um, all the different sexualities, some really good researcher in the field said, you know how many different sexualities are, there are? It's infinite. Every single person has their own 
specific sexuality. And every couple has its own level, degree, reasons for monogamy or not. Right. And there should be a judge like me to be told what their sex life is like, what their relationship is like, and I can tell them whether it's right or wrong. Yes, you could. We'll call you God. Well, so if you you ask your partner, this is just theoretical, though. If you ask your partner to put on a wig, this is just theoretical, of a different color hair and to use a different accent, is that still monogamous? No, that's cheating. (laughs) That you're saying to your partner, there's a, a type of and it's cowardice, Dr. Hershenfeld. It's both cheating and cowardice because you're 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 afraid to cheat on your partner. That's cowardly. And then you're asking your partner to be somebody else, which is lusting for somebody else. And it's adultery. Right, Dr. Hershenfeld? No. It's It's especially problematic because the wig I'm asking you to wear is a George Washington wig. (laughs) So it's very, and it's not about the Revolutionary War. It's not about that. I just, I really love quarters. I've always been a nomination. The quarter has always been a turn on. Or Barbara Bush. Right, that's right. But the the nice thing about a quarter is it's not like, it's closer to a dollar. It feels psychologically closer to a dollar than to a penny. It feels like real money. It's the first coin you're at where this is really happening. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're so right. Quarter, it's sort of sexy in that way. <laughs> you would but bend you, over to pick up a quarter. And that's exactly, right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, do you guys remember my lecture from, I think, just last week on the mind of a, of a comedian and what's unique about that mind? We just had a good example of that because in that riff, this young man, who I have no idea who he is, I've never met him before. <laughs> you wouldn't like him. He, he demonstrated all the different multiplicity of things. Oh, boy. That this is. <laughs> I'm quelling. Do, do you, does your audience know what quelling is? Yes. Okay. Um, well, not from listening to the show, they don't know. Right. But they, so, well. It could be anything. It could be a fixation on Martha or George Washington. I mean, the mind is infinite. And if you use that infinite mind in your interactions with your lawfully wedded partner, you're being monogamous. Can you share too much with your lawfully wedded partner? Can you? This, that, that is a very good question. You do need to lie. You need to dissemble. You need to hide. <laughs> you need to, all those things are necessary. Aren't they necessary ingredients to monogamy? Well, let's let's stick to the rules here. Hang on for one second. Oh, you're, you're the questioner. I'm okay, sorry. I'm going to ask the question of the son and th- then the father. So, okay, Ethan. Yes. In a relationship... Can there be too much honesty, especially when it comes to intimacy? Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with my my best friend uh, the other day. Um, He's a a pimp, and I was paying him for a hooker I had just been visiting. (laughs) And um, he said to me, again with the quarters, I'm walking around here, I can't, can barely move with these pockets. (laughs) But, you know, I'm a regular customer, so he lets me. Uh No. Saying to my to my friend Jimmy, 
Because I, I, I was uh, in five, five months up there in, in one house. It was just me and my girlfriend and the dogs. That was like the most, uh, that was like, I was like, that was like the Iron Man of monogamy. I, I was like, I mean, just in that. I've never been married. But that was, that was like hardcore. Did you, fasc- did you fantasize about another dog? <laughs> no, but she does. She's on Pet Finder all the time. She wants us to adopt a third dog. Mm. So she's doing that. But um, no, I said to him, it's hard because I feel like I can't really say everything that's on my mind. And he said, yeah, you just described. That's what a marriage is. That's what a, a relationship is. Of course you can't say everything that's on your mind. You have to. You have to edit. You have to. The idea of some completely open, transparent relationship where you're just sharing every thought. That's people. The idea is that if I were to share everything on my mind, she would be right out the door and vice versa, probably. Doctor? Okay. I repeat, you cannot make generalizations about one individual or one couple. Jews. We're talking about Jews. I know a situation couple have been happily married for 30, 35 years. And the guy, he's always been monogamous, completely. But he has a totally obvious roving eye. He's, any long, young honey that comes by, he, he almost sprains his neck. And his, now some women would go nuts over this. His wife's philosophy is you can work up your appetite out of the house but you have to eat at home whoa whoa okay. whoa but what does that have to do whoa. with sex <laughs> i was asking wait, she was worried that he was gonna have dinner with her and not <laughs> that's mrs pence that's worried <laughs> right ethan you want to respond to i'd like to respond with a i'd like just a reading from um, this is this is a book that I'm reading. Uh, let me just give it. I think this will answer most of it. Früh am nächsten Morgen marschiert der Chick alleine los, um im Dorf unten irgendwas zu essen zu kaufen. So I guess that, that explains. We don't have to. Is that what no. is that? Goebbels' diary. It's, it's, it's a novel called Chick. And do you uh, speak I, German? Not very well. I mean, my girlfriend's fluent. She's from Germany. She doesn't speak English, and I don't speak German, which is part of why <laughs> it's lasted so long. We do a lot of pointing. We do a lot of pointing. And do you really have a German girlfriend? Yes. She's been in America for twenty-five plus years, and she was, she became a citizen. So, but we've been talking about fleeing. If if. Uh, he who shall not be named were reelected, maybe going and living in the in the fatherland again. Now, do you do you find that when a man commits adultery, he feels guilty the first time, but that within a day or two he doesn't get caught, it gets easier and easier, and then it gets easier and easier to cheat. Is that usually what happens? That once you commit a crime and you get away with it, it gets easier and easier to, to do it. I feel like I, I'm going to guess what Dr. Hirschfeld is going to say. He's going to lean in closely. Yeah. And he's going to say, I've been trying to tell you, you can't <laughs> generalize. Have you not been listening? <laughs> it is sad 
I was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, your son interrupted you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. It is said that the more you commit a crime, the easier it gets. However, and, and it often looks that way, but that does not account for unconscious guilt. Now, if I told you I don't feel guilty for anything. I would say you're full of shit. I don't feel guilty. Well, good for you. Maybe you're a good guy. Maybe you're not doing terrible things. I mean, if I mean, is guilt, is it conceivable that there are people? I don't feel guilty about anything. First of all, he is doing terrible things. He's taking advantage of us and not paying us for, for any of this wisdom. I don't feel guilty about it. In fact, I enjoy the fact that I'm making millions off this show right. and exploiting your labor. Thank you. Okay. Uh, is guilt just a natural part of the human condition? Indeed. But not always conscious. And very often it's for things that the person has no right to feel guilty about. Are we taught guilt? Because I'll tell you, I've told this on the show many times. My father, I'm being serious. My father told me to masturbate. Right. But I still felt shame. He said, Dad, come on, we're in the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can we wait till we get in the parking lot? But look at, look at the prices on this cabbage. How can you not? How can you not? But, uh, well, what's the difference between shame and guilt? They're two different things, and they say, by the way, that Western society is more guilt-based and Eastern society is more shame-based. Um, so like in, in, the mayor of Seoul commits yeah. suicide. Right, yeah. That's shame. That's shame, yeah. Here, you often people commit suicide out of guilty feelings. So what is shame? Shame is I've, I'm, I'm embarrassed of what I've done to the culture. In front, in front of other people. Guilt is much more internal. Wow. I feel I've done something terrible. Shame is like I've, sh I've done something wrong and other people are judging me and I agree with their judgment. Yeah. Guilt is I did something Nobody may know about it, but right. and can guilt be relieved by telling people what you're guilty about? That's the theory in my business. Well, what if you're being shamed? How does this, how does how would how if if society is shaming you yeah. for something that's right. Not necessarily criminal. Right. Can your business deal with a person's shame? I guess you would have to help the person examine how realistic it is. A, that, that society really is thinking about him like this, and that they're even thinking about him at all. And if, in fact, they are... Uh, is it reasonable if he wants to walk around 
you know, with a chicken as his fiance, that's his business. Right. But guilt, but you, then there's a value judgment on what somebody feels. You have to make a value judgment over what your patient is feeling guilty about. Yeah. And most of the time, a normal person, there's, I know it's, there's no such thing as normal, but the unconscious guilt is wanting to sleep with my mother, wanting to kill my father, things that I've never, I'm feeling guilty about thoughts. Right. That's correct. But actions, when you actually do some, can you treat somebody who truly is guilty of doing something? And yeah. I'm going to let Ethan answer the question first. How do you treat somebody who is, who is living with the you guilt? Treat them the way my parents, here's how they always treated me. They would take me to Carvel. <laughs> That's a treat. Is that what we're talking about? No, 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 no. An ice cream sundae? No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's how do you treat no. someone? No, here's how. Because if, if someone comes to me in my practice... You know, that, that's someone who's really deranged because I'm not even, you know, I never even went to medical school. But if someone comes to me and they're, they've actually murdered someone, their complaint isn't that they murdered someone. It's how they feel about having committed murder. So I can help them work on that. But I can't really help them with their legal problems or... Does that but make the, sense? Well, how do you treat somebody who killed somebody in cold blood... And has to live with that. Then you, it's, 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 you know, it's case by case. Are they having trouble sleeping? Are they having trouble, um, you know, hugging their puppy? They could manifest in different ways. And you, whatever their complaint. Isn't that right? They come to you. They're coming to you for uh, what they want. Don't they tell you what they're there for? They feel bad. They want relief. Right. They want relief. Does everybody deserve to be treated for their guilt. I guess after, like, for example, going to prisons, if somebody has been arrested, they're doing time, are they entitled to psychiatric care? And do they get it? A, they don't get it. B, are they entitled? Absolutely. You know, there's a French saying, I don't speak French, but they tell me, um, to understand all is to forgive all. And that's supposedly a bad thing. However, if you go to a prison and you find a guy who's been there for 10 years and at 19, growing up at the ghetto with no education, with, and, you know, no nothing, and he's in a gang and, uh, one thing leads to another and he kills somebody. Does he deserve to feel guilty for the rest of his life? Which he may, by the way, depending on how integrated his personality is. But does he deserve to be punished for the rest of his life? Are there people, I guess there are people who are capable of murdering somebody third degree, second degree, feeling bad about it, doing time and moving on from it, being in their own head, 
That, that would be an integrated personality. What does an integrated personality mean? You've got a functioning conscience. You've got a functioning ego where you can accomplish things. You can allow yourself enjoyment in life. That, that's an integrated personality. At least that's, those are some of the factors in it. Ethan, we, we heard a lot about post-traumatic stress syndrome mm-hmm. after Vietnam, during Vietnam. But murder is murder. Did we see this in Korea? Did, did the soldiers coming back from Korea, coming back from World War II, feel bad? They, they always say, no, the, the, the American soldiers felt bad in Vietnam because they, they didn't feel we belonged there. Whereas yeah, I, don't, I don't think it, I, I think that uh, there was an evolution in the words that were used to describe those feelings. And maybe there was some additional trauma because of how people were treated when they got home from, from fighting. But I imagine that the individual experience of holding a gun, getting shot at, shooting other people, being subjected to constant loud noises and the potential of violence and death, that that, that has affected everybody in the same way as through the centuries. I, I mean, at least since it all got mechanized. Well, it's probably a little less terrifying. Dr. Hershenfeld, PTSD after World War I was called shell shock. Exactly. But, same thing. Same thing. But World War I was an immoral war. Where All wars are immoral, but World War I, people came back and they said, what did we do this for? No, we didn't really hear about that after World War II. Nobody questioned whether or not they should have gone off and fought. Then yeah. Vietnam comes along, and we hear, instead of shell shock, PTSD. Yeah. So... Can, can people be psychologically damaged by war if they come home and feel the war wasn't worth it? Or is it uniformed? Do you, do you think? I think it makes uh, there are various things that can make it better or worse. But as Ethan says, there's an evolution in terms from shell shock to, to whatever it is next. Um, War is hell. It just is. Can I recommend a book on this show, or is that forbidden? Sure. The Outpost by Jake Tapper. I'm reading it right now. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. If anything throws in your face the horror, the waste, the stupidity of war, that will do it. Why? Well, because of hubris, because of stupidity, and such such good people were destroyed. Why why aren't you know I we have uh Thomas Frank on the show. He wrote What's the Matter with Kansas. You read his three books, he has all the answers. I mean, there's a unifying theory to how we ended up where we are right now. The Democrats are full of crap, is the answer. There's, there's, there isn't any morality emanating from the leadership in the Democratic Party. You're a psychiatrist. 
where are the sane, rational, moral people? Why aren't they being heard? I mean, it's there, there's nobody in mainstream media speaking up for the core essential values that that make us human and protect us. The, the culture is devoid of of rational moral voices. They're not being. They're there. They're just not being heard. We don't have it in the Democratic Party. We don't have it in our our vice president. We don't have a. Uh, we don't have you know Kamala is not the voice of compassion and morality. Biden isn't. This. Aren't you, if you're a psychiatrist, why, why aren't you clenching your fists and angry and screaming at the, at the culture? Because, you know, there's, there's the reality factor. Someone who, who gets up there like the prophet Jeremiah and starts berating the evilness, he may not get elected. He may not have any chance whatsoever to do anything. So you got to take reality. Who was running when people were saying voting for the lesser of two evils is still evil? Was that Humphrey? Was that some election 30, 40 years ago? And, and we ended up getting a uh, really terrible right-wing president. And that was a stupid statement. But a lot of people signed into it. Ethan, don't we need some scolds? Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, but I, what the, the place I've seen producing the kind of dialogue that you're asking for is actually from spiritual leaders. I just put it in the comments that William Barber, the re repairers of the breach, the poor people's march. Those are the people who are saying the things that you're talking about. That's where that's what we need. And I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about it just happens to be coming from religious leaders. Maybe there's some atheist leaders also speaking the same kind of truth. But um, yeah, we need community. We need caring for the people who are suffering. And it, it why were you in the clear. chat room? Oh, there's some very hot. I mean, your guests are. Whew, but you, I feel monogamy. like Dr. Hershenfeld, don't you think it's rude if a guest is in the chat room talking to the audience and not focused? Oh, I wasn't in your chat room. I was. In, <laughs> I was in a totally different chat room. I was in. Uh, no, no. Well, before you go, I always look forward to this. What is your advice to uh, my listeners in terms of relaxing in August? It seems to be the month that psychiatrists take off. How do you relax? How do you relax? What's so good about relaxing? <laughs> Art? It's, in it's interesting. The least relaxing thing you can ever do is to tell someone to relax. You know that when you say relax, relax. it's very, uh, it's very uh, agitating. To me, relaxing is flat on my back reading. That's yeah, the too. height of relaxation. Okay. Ethan? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, that's the same thing. I love that's the best thing. 
Now, if flat on the back reading. Now, if your father sees me flat on my back reading, he <laughs> thinks he's losing money. Why? If a guy is flat on his back, he should be talking to me, not yes. reading. What is relaxing for you, Doctor Hershenfeld? Um, Tell them about the scythe. Tell them about how much you like to scythe. I love to scythe. Like the Grim Reaper. This is a true. This is true. Big field up here in Gardner. I, I don't have it anymore. We sold that place. It was a big seven, eight acre field. And if you don't scythe, if you don't mow down a field every couple of years, it'll turn into a forest before you know it. So I had a choice. I could either pay some guy to brush hog it, or I could go out there every weekend. And scythe. And scythe. And it's the most zen, interesting activity for me. Not for everybody. There's a rhythm to it. And my grandfather used to scythe, so I, I knew about it. From the old country. Ukraine? Yes. Well, that makes sense. Are you, are you seriously, are you Ukrainian? One quarter, yes. So back again with the quarters. <laughs> Indeed. Dr. Hershenfeld, thank you. It's, it's always, and Ethan, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, doctor. I love you. Thank you for, I feel better already. Okay. Thank you. Our time is up. Hey, Henry. Hey, Reverend.